0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mark Geist Show. This is Mark Geist, your host, and I've got quite a bit of, quite a bit to talk about today. So I'd like to get right into it. First, I want to clean up a couple things that I talked about in the last couple episodes. I know I talked about about Brexit and the fall of the establishment and. I had said at the end, I didn't really talk much about financial implications, but at the end of that episode, I talked about how I think the markets are overreacting. And I think we've seen that, yes, that was an overreaction to that one single event. What I wish I had gone into more detail about, though, is that I don't believe that the markets are fundamentally sound by any means. What I was saying was I believe that That initial downturn was a huge overreaction just to that one specific event. And I think what we are going to see is every time there is some sort of big event, you're going to see an overreaction like that. So you're going to see everybody's waiting for the one event that's going to set this market, which is so flawed and there is so much wrong. It's being... Propped up by central banks and by printing money and by quantitative easing, and it's it's really one one huge bubble. So there is going to be an event that causes that bubble to ultimately burst, and is going to cause a lot of pain. I think a lot of people are believing it may be Brexit. I didn't think that we're quite at that point yet. So we have seen a recovery. I know. Um, the FTSE 100 and the FTSE 250. I know the 100 has gotten back to its pre-Brexit levels and exceeded those levels. I believe the 250 is back up at that point, at least, and maybe has slightly exceeded. I know the 250. It has a slightly larger percentage of its portfolio, you know, of this of the stocks that make up the FTSE 250. There's a larger percentage doing business in Britain. They do a larger percentage of their business in Britain compared to the FTSC 100. So the 250 is a little bit of a better indicator of how Britain is doing itself than the than the 100. And then there are, there are other indices which show which show worse performance. So everything isn't perfect after Brexit, and I don't think anybody was expecting things to rebound right away. I think this has actually exceeded most people's expectations. But I just wanted to make it clear that something's going to happen that causes this huge bubble to burst, and I don't know what it's going to be. Brexit could have been it, and I think maybe that's what what people in the market were preparing for. That's what the markets were preparing for. It ultimately didn't happen, but I think it will at some point. So I wanted, to, I wanted to just clear that up before I got into anything else. What I wanted to talk about today, something that's pretty important to me, uh, a topic I've written about quite a few times. I've, I haven't talked about this on this podcast at all, but I, I am writing a book about millennials and how this generation can, if we approach things in the right way, set the U.S. on the right course and kind of learn from the mistakes of the last few generations. Uh, I can't say I'm super optimistic that's going to happen. Just looking at the, looking at stories about every day, just about the idiocy of this generation. You look at the politicians that this generation is getting behind. I'm not optimistic that it's going to happen but it's kind of a blueprint of what would need to happen i think for this country to be set on the right course and it's obviously looking at things from a libertarian lens and and a lot of the recommendations are basically get government out of our lives and move in that direction moving moving a direction toward less government but probably the chapter i like the best so far that i've written it's not hundred percent complete, but I have it pretty much completely developed and there's a lot of there's a lot there are a lot of facts in there but also a lot of there's a lot of analysis there because I think it is a multi step approach where you've gotta look at the student loan issue first you've gotta dissect why are costs so high. And it's obvious to anybody I think that's thought much about the issue that the issue isn't all of a sudden colleges got greedier than they were in the past. I know one that the left loves to loves to try to throw out there is that government funding for, uh, for public colleges has gone down. That's not a strong enough reason, though, to explain why costs have exploded both at private institutions and at public institutions. It's not like public institutions exploded and private institutions continue to raise at about the same level. Basically, you can see at the point when federal student loans became a big deal when the government got really involved in student loans that's when costs started to skyrocket and the more involved that the government has gotten in lending money to students to go to college the faster those costs have risen so I think if you think about it for any period of time that's the answer but then you can go further in depth I think one thing I do well in this chapter that I've written I'm gonna try to get into some of those points But I think I do a good job of getting in-depth into the reasons why that's happened and all the flaws in that methodology. What made me want to talk about student loans today, though, was there were two different stories that came out this week. Um, One, neither of them were big stories, but one of them was student loan interest rates are going to decrease starting... I believe today. I, I think it was starting July first, twenty sixteen. Just today, the int- the average interest rates on federal student loans would fall from four point five percent to three point seven five percent, or something like that. And all this does is this is just a band aid to cover up the problem, and it's a band aid. It doesn't even work like a band aid is supposed to work. You know, a band aid is supposed to protect something from getting infected so that it can heal this band-aid though it's enabling the cut underneath to get bigger and to grow into and and to become more of an issue because what happens is interest rates are interest rates are so important and that's why they're central to Austrian economics that's why so much is focused on the cost to borrow money and with student loans right now and with the government the way it is we're basically it, it will lend out money to you no matter who you are, no matter what your qualifications are, no matter what you're going to study, you know, no, no matter what your future job prospects are, anything. They will lend you money at the same interest rate as somebody with tremendous qualifications. So they place you as commitment to somebody to buy a house. Or what's the value of the house to determine first if we even want to offer to lend this person money and if we do what's going to be the interest rate that we charge this person but this doesn't happen in student loans so there there is no there's no signal to the student what should i study so let's just take first we'll just talk about say it's the same person so we control for all the variables that a particular person has compared to another person. So we're eliminating all of those different variables. So we're just looking at this one person. But say this person is looking at either going to study uh, English at a state school or they're going to study engineering at an elite university. They're They're going to Harvard to study engineering. Should they be offered the same interest rate to pursue both of those, each of those two different alternatives? I think it's ridiculous that they are. And that's basically how this system works. And then, obviously, if you take two different people, like I was saying before, it throws even more wrenches into the mix. But it operates so far from how a business actually should operate, how a free market actually would operate in education. And I think it makes so much sense to move toward a freer market in education and to really let an interest rate serve, it serve its service purpose. So say we were to eliminate all federal student loans. So rather than trying to put a band-aid over the problem and decrease the interest rates on the loans, which Elizabeth Warren had called for this in the past. I don't think she's ever called for outright student loan forgiveness, though there are plenty out there that are. And student loans now stand at $1.3 trillion dollars. And this is straight borrowing. This isn't borrowing with with collateral behind it. So you know if if you're talking about there is one trillion dollars in outstanding auto loans. I'm actually not sure what the what the number is for auto loans, but at least there's collateral there backing that up. So I mean, really, your exposure isn't quite a trillion dollars. It's a trillion dollars minus the value of the cars, which I'm sure isn't a trillion dollars. But still, student loans. It's 1.3 trillion dollars. There's no collateral there, backing it up. It's a huge issue. And student loan forgiveness. I know now with our with our federal debts standing at over 19 trillion dollars, not even counting unfunded liabilities. I know that 1.3 trillion seems kind of like a drop in the bucket, but that is a huge amount of money, and people are just talking about throwing that basically onto the taxpayers, onto the national debt, as if it's really not a big deal. Basically, I think they see government money as just kind of magic. It just kind of appears out of thin air. and That's why you're always hearing these cries for oh, such and such program is underfunded, and this program is underfunded, and how does this person, or how does this group not deserve money to do this? But all it's doing is raising the amount of money that the people need to pay. It's being paid for. It's not... government isn't this magical entity that just creates money. Well, it does print money, but it doesn't create value or anything that can then just be handed out to certain groups. It's taking and then giving to other people. And really, a $1.3 trillion student loan forgiveness, it would be taking from the older... Taking really from the financially responsible, the people who either never took out student loans or paid off their student loans, and it would be typically, there would be more older people that would be really covering the losses for the rest of us, but I think it's a dangerous precedent, the whole idea of student loan forgiveness. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir, anybody that's listening to this is going to think that's a ludicrous idea, but anytime any group is bailed out, and you always hear the argument, well. The banks were bailed out or the auto companies were bailed out, so why shouldn't I get bailed out? That is a t- It's a terrible way to approach life, and I think it's part of this millennial mindset that's dangerous that I think we need to eradicate if this generation actually is going to move us in the right direction because you cannot approach life constantly comparing what you get versus what someone else gets. It's basically saying, well, because that person got this, or this group got this, now I'm entitled to that. It's a constant comparison game, and it's its all about entitlement. And that's the biggest thing that people are entitled to, they're entitled to salary, or to... It, it's just a terrible way to live life, and it's it's really setting us up for failure. If it if a large percentage of millennials are approaching life that way, it's setting us up for failure. So I don't want to get too much I don't want to get too far down that path of of rallying on millennials and, and the student loan forgiveness issue because anybody listening to this, like I said, anybody listening to this thinks student loan forgiveness is a ridiculous idea. Also, Hillary Clinton came out with she was trying to appeal, I guess, to younger people wanting to start their business, or start wanting to start their own business, and I forget the exact details, but her plan calls for up to $17,500 in student loans deferred for up to three years, I believe, and I don't know if it, it would be forgiven after that point, or if it would just be, the payments would be deferred until the future. Well, while somebody is trying to start their own business. So first of all, I mean, how to tell what's a legitimate business or not. I mean, what would the thresholds be that you have to reach? Because any small business is going to be starting at a very small scale, but I'm just thinking about, not that I would ever do this, but like you could start a shell business if you want to, Eventually, be forgiven the seventeen thousand five hundred dollars, or if you want to, if you want your payments to be deferred for a while, it'd be easy to set up some sort of shell business that makes it look like you're trying to trying to get something going, but really you're just doing it for that benefit. So I don't even want to talk about that, but I want to talk about overall, and it's similar to the point that I made before, but just everything. What they're trying to do with student loans, they're trying to do the same thing there that they do with the tax code, where the system is fundamentally broken, the tax system is fundamentally broken, and they're, they're trying to patch it up with all these deductions and these loopholes and these credits, and they just keep adding more and more to the system. That's what they're trying to do with student loans. They don't see that the issue is that the federal government is involved in student loans in the first place. All the patchworks in the world isn't going to fix that. And all it, all it does is just make the whole system more and more complex. It puts more power in the hands of these student loan consolidation companies and these experts and you know college financial aid people. Just like in the tax system, it puts more and more power in tax accountants' hands, in the hands of congressmen and people with power in government, and the middlemen between the people and the actual final collection of of taxes. That's where the power goes. And in colleges with with this kind of system, the more and more complexity we add to the system, the more power it puts in those middlemen's hands. So I think, I had said this before, we can do a great experiment or not experiment, but we can really go down a a thought experiment lane and think about what a free market in student loans would actually look like. So first of all, I'm almost positive that less people would go to college if there wasn't government support for it, if there wasn't this federal student loan system propping the whole thing up. I think a lot of colleges would have to close down I think a lot of people who currently go to college just because it is subsidized, it's essentially subsidized, they they wouldn't go. But I think we need to we need to divorce ourselves from this notion that more people going to college is always a good thing. It's not a good thing if the if the education is being devalued at the same time. It's also not a good thing if the person is going, but they're just going and delaying four, five, six years of their lives, and eventually, at the end of that, they either don't graduate, or if they do graduate, they end up working the same job they would have worked if they hadn't have gone, and it was basically just delaying adulthood for five or six years. There are so many people out there like that, and I I know a ton of them. I just graduated from college not too long ago, and... A lot of the people I graduated with. I graduated from high school uh, just just over six years ago. It would have been six years ago in you know on June twenty fifth or something like that. Um, so I've seen a lot of my friends and what and what they've done, and a lot of them went to school, tri- went to college, tried it for a year or two, eventually left. And a lot of them ended up joining the military. Some of them joined the military right away. They got a head start on those people that went to college, even though they were never book-type people in high school. They never liked school. The chances of them finding something on that same path, I think, was very small. But they had to waste two years or, or you know, a certain amount of time before eventually starting their work life in something where I think they actually would have... opportunity to build a long-term career where they they weren't going to find that in school because they just they didn't like it and you know if you're not passionate about something it's very difficult to ever find success in that thing Um, also I knew uh, quite a few people that went to college kind of did some sort of general major Made it through, but you know, they weren't trying to rush to finish. They were there to be there, basically because people had told them, that's what you're expected to do. You graduate from high school, you go to college. That's just what you do. You go there, it's going to be the best four years of your life. Usually those those people end up spending more than four years in school, too. And then they get to the end of their college career, and yeah, maybe they've had a great time, maybe it was among the best four or five years of their lives, but then they don't they either don't find a job right away, or they go back working a job that doesn't require a degree or doesn't doesn't require that degree back in our hometown. Or they're just kind of out you know, out elsewhere looking for a job, you know, looking in a thousand different fields and they don't have any sort of focus on what to do or, or where to go. All this is happening all the time, and I don't think I mean, I think the people that I know are a pretty good representation of what's happening in all of American society, and I'm just judging that based on reading things online and talking to other people. This is happening everywhere. So was it really a benefit for all of these people to be going to college? Did it make their lives better? I certainly don't think so. I don't think any, nobody should argue that it made their lives better. All they did was waste a lot of time and a lot of money. And sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of them are going to end up being just fine, but they're never going to recover that lost time and that lost money. It's, it's incredible how much difference a year or two can make at that age, say of, of earning power, and say you're able to sock 25% of that away. What that will accrue to by the time you're 65, it's a, it's a huge deal or that experience that you could have gotten over that couple of years. Experience compounds, too. And being able to get a, a jump start on, on your peers at that time, that can make a huge difference down the line when you're in your prime earning years. I know we don't think about it that way, but experience co- compounds just like money. Um, so I don't think that the vast majority of those people were better off for going to college. Maybe they learned something about themselves they otherwise wouldn't have learned, but... That's kind of wishy-washy. There's no way to place a, a real value on that, to be honest. So I think that's just excuse making. So less people going to college or fewer people going to college is not necessarily a bad thing. So that would be the first implication of a free market system, free market college education system with no federal student loan program. And then some people will say so you just expect every student to be able to pay in cash or to how are they ever going to afford that? Well, what's going to happen in that environment where now you don't have you don't have people's ability to pay being artificially inflated by government provided student loans regardless of the person's actual ability to repay in the future. So college tuitions are going to come down. They're not based on a supply and demand system right now. There's a huge distortion being done by the Federal Student Loan Program, and it's pushing college tuitions upward. And it's very clear, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, it's very clear if you look at when tuition started to skyrocket. It's clear to see that's due to the Federal Student Loan Program. So, tuitions will come down, which is hugely important for people's ability to pay. And I think you're, you would see it brought down to the point where a student could conceivably work 20 hours a week and be able to pay a substantial portion of his or her tuition, and you know maybe work full-time over the summers, and be able to pretty much pay your tuition, which is impossible now. You also would see, I think, schools, and this is a very important point, but you would see schools starting to cater to different niches, starting to cater to different abilities to pay. Because there's still a a pretty decently large segment of the population where their parents are going to pay for them to go to school regardless. They're not taking out student loans in this environment and if the federal student loan program was gone, they're not going to have to go out into the private system to to find loans. So they're still going to have a high ability to pay they're still going to want to go to the prestigious schools. The prestigious schools would still exist. Maybe their tuitions would have to come down a bit to be able to uh, cater to a middle and lower income crowd. Though They give out huge scholarships now, and they're not actually huge beneficiaries of the federal student loan program as it is. It's really those middle tier. And the middle tier colleges are huge. The, you know, the, the somewhat decently big name schools, but... That still charge 50000 dollars a semester. Those are the schools that are really helped by the federal student loan program. It's not really the Harvards and the Yales, but so you're going to have that segment of the population where they're still going to have a, they're still going to have a great ability to pay, and there are going to be colleges very similar to today that still cater to those types of students. But then you're going to see schools, maybe really focusing on what they're good at. And I think that's actually what that's my impression of what secondary educational to go. Like we went to college and there were teachers' colleges and there was a college that was known for this and a college that was known for that. And really it's it, it's been over the last fifty to seventy years where they've started to try to be everything to everyone. So now you've got to have a pro, you've got to have all these different programs to to be a legitimate university, basically. But in in what business does that work nowadays? I talked about I think in the I think in my previous podcast, but now that everything's becoming so individualized. <clears throat> so we're able to go out and find exactly what we want. And so it's causing businesses to cater more and more to these particular niches. So you're always looking for what's this niche that I can exploit no longer is it can I be everything to everybody and expect to survive I talked about Sears Roebuck being an example of that no longer does that model really work you've got to have your target market and you've got to figure out how to sell to them and you know some niches are are very small very unique some are larger and you know you're going to have a wider range of products but it, it it's everything's trending toward individualization except in universities and post secondary education one of the few areas where that is not happening and you see this actually across the board with areas that government gets involved in so i work in the banking industry and banks have had to do this they've now had to become everything to everyone and i think it's due to how overregulated they are no matter there's there's no difference between me going and setting up a checking account there's there's small differences but they between me going to this bank down the street or another bank a little further down the street very few differences between the two and they're not really able to due to all the regulation that they're under they're not really able to cater to particular niches and I know it's a little bit different buying products, or buying services versus where are you going to have your deposit account or where are you going to choose to take out a loan. But I think without all of the regulation in in banking, you would see banks start to at least trend in that direction. But I don't think you're seeing that at all. You're seeing kind of the rate you're getting here is the rate you're getting there, and they're all pretty much zero. And the loan you're getting here is pretty much exactly the same as the loan you're getting there. Maybe the rate's slightly different. But I think you would see more innovation a lot of people, but I think you would see a lot without being so intrusive on the banking industry. But anyways, to get back to student loans and back to universities. So universities have had to become everything to everyone. They haven't had to, but because of having students guaranteed to be able to pay and all this money flowing in and their endowments growing like crazy... That's when they've all built these these big stadiums and these big dorms and these you know these huge uh, dining halls, all this stuff that they're they're spending tons of money on. It's it's due to not being subject to free market forces. If they were subject to the same free market forces as every other industry, or as industries that are not heavily regulated or heavily distorted by government intervention they would be trending toward individualization as well. They would be catering toward niches of customers rather than catering toward every single potential student out there, which is what they're doing now. So I think that's an important thing that you would see in a free market system. So another important point I want to make is that we we hear so much about how we need stem graduates we need to be able to, we need to be able to compete with other countries in science technology engineering mathematics your stem 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 all the time yet a free market in education would be the best way to achieve getting more students to study stem in college so let me explain that a little bit more when you have an interest rate system, so when you have a system of private lenders lending the money that students need to go to to go to college, which actually I, I don't think I even mentioned, but I think that would be what would come about so that students that couldn't pay for their entire education in cash, which I'm sure still would be a lot of them, they would need to go the private route, and there are private lenders out there now, but they're they're under heavy government control too, and there aren't many of them because I think it's really difficult to compete with the with the uh, government, with the federal government student loans, and I think with how much student loan debt students are coming out with, it's very difficult to have any sort of expectation of repayment. When that's going to happen, and I know that they can't be discharged in bankruptcy, but it still doesn't help these private lenders if they have this amount. That yeah, it's still the student's still liable for it. But how fast are they going to be able to pay it down? Are they going to be paying it off over the next forty years, which very easily, <laughs> which hap- seems to happen in a lot of situations, or seems like it's going to happen in a lot of situations? So, private lenders basically would step up in the place of in the place of where government is now, where the federal student loan program is now, They would become the primary lender. It would take some time for the, the whole industry to resort itself. I'd said before that a lot of students probably that maybe would go to college, under the Federal Student Loan Program now wouldn't in a free market. Some colleges would close down. That would take some time to sort. But I think a, a private system of lenders would come up. Maybe every bank wouldn't be involved in, in lending, but I think there would be some that would specialize in it that would be really good at it. That th- they would be great at looking at, okay, what is the student's qualifications? So what what was what was his or her... SAT score, grades in high school, ACT score if they took the ACT, uh, what are their qualifications that they've their their extracurriculars whatever they would find exactly how that correlates to not just college success but future earnings really the future earnings is what matters because that's what will predict the students ability to pay but then beyond the student they would they would become experts in the programs themselves so they would have to know what is an average graduate going to make coming out of a particular program at a particular school what is the length of time it's estimated that a student takes to graduate with this degree and so all this would come together and they would get a they would get a decent sort of evaluation as to what the students chances were to repay and a riskier student, whether it's because the program they're entering has poor job prospects, or whether it's because the students' qualifications maybe aren't tremendous and it it's unsure if they'll be able to finish the program. And if they do finish the program, will they be one of the top candidates in that industry to be able to actually earn an average or above average salary once they come out? So all of those things would come into account. I think you'd have you'd have a handful of banks or a handful of of companies that would become experts in this and what better way than the interest rate that comes out of this so the interest rate would be an indicator of what's the demand for the, for this particular industry what's the quality of this program is it worth me going there I'm saying me me being the student what better indicator so now if you're looking at, I've got to borrow money at, at 15% annually to go get this English degree at a lower level school or instead I can study engineering at this slightly higher level school and they're offering me 4%. What better indicator is there? And it's done by experts, it's not me being talked into it by Maybe, maybe I have parents that never went to college and they just think that getting a college degree is all that matters and so I should just do exactly what I want to do regardless of what my future earning potential is regardless of anything else just getting that college degree is the path to prosperity and a lot of a lot of students who have par- parents that didn't go to that, that didn't go to college or didn't graduate from college they're the ones that are most prone to that they, and they tend to be less well off and less less able to even absorb or have anything to fall back on if it all blows up in their faces and they either don't graduate or they graduate and they can't find a job because they were just told go to college that's all that really matters they weren't given any sort of indication as to getting a degree from this school in this program may be very very different from getting a degree from this school in that field and so where this all ties back to stem if we really want to push students into stem and there's such a demand out there in the marketplace for stem graduates banks would understand that the company specializing in lending for student loans they would understand that they would understand that these high high qualified students if they come in and if they're trying to if if they're trying to borrow money from me, solutions. Great qualification towards studying, uh, say, finance. But they also say, oh, but I have an interest in chemical engineering. And they wanna get a quote for the two different options. And say they're two different options at the same school. But now I, as the loan officer, I know that chemical engineers coming out have an average starting salary of $85,000. I'm just throwing a number out there. I don't really know what it is and a, a finance major from this school comes out 5,000. I offer this person engineering, let's say, our 90% find a job within six months of graduation, and the finance graduates, 60% find a job within six months of graduation. And so I offer the chemical, I offer him if he's going to study chemical engineering, and that would be part of the loan too, the eventual loan, that, the student has to stay in the chemical engineering program to continue to get the disbursements of money. Otherwise, otherwise the loan is is null. We're not going to fund further. Uh, we're not going to fund further on the loan. That would be a tremendous indicator saying, okay, we're lending you at four percent to get a chemical engineering degree, or we're lending to you at ten percent to get a finance degree. What better incentive? And what easier signal to a potential student than that? The way it is now, students are really, how are they differentiating these schools? Yeah, they can maybe look at what future earning potential is. But I'm telling you, a lot of 18-year-olds are not looking at that. And a lot of times, their parents don't understand either. And their parents aren't doing research. And their parents are stuck in that stuck in that mode of thinking that all you need is a college degree to be prosperous and that's not really the world that we live in anymore because it has become devalued. So what happens is students, 18-year-olds, I think we're talking about mostly 18-year-olds here. They go to a school because of the athletics. They're thinking about next year I can be cheering for this particular football team every Saturday and going to their games or, you know, this school is a is a great party school or look at the school's dining halls or their dorms. I'm gonna be living the life of luxury here. It makes it a little bit harder to do that when you now have this financial indicator. And I know that a lot of people would say to that, well, they're still 18 year olds. They're not gonna really understand anyways what the difference is between lending at this versus that. But their parents certainly do. Their parents are going to understand it pretty strongly. If they see, okay, my my kid is going into a loan officer's office or, he, or they're communicating somehow. If I'm an adult in this world and I've ever had a mortgage or anything, I certainly know the difference between 3% and 10%. <laughs> and I know how much that adds up to over the long run. I know how big of a difference that is. That makes it a very easy indicator for me And it leads me to have a second discussion with my child where maybe they wouldn't understand otherwise. They wouldn't really know the implications of the decision if the money that's being borrowed is going to be at the same interest rate regardless of of what they decide to major in or where where they decide to go to school. So I think that's probably the most beautiful part about a free market in education and if it actually was to go down the way that I'm saying. And I think... I think it would have to. I think I don't. I don't think I've said anything controversial up to this point. I think that's the system that would come up around it. I think. Um, I think that's how it would have to go. That's how other industries have developed, that have never had government intervention. Of course, they didn't have to have the kind of pain where there's going to be there's going to be all this reallocation of resources, and there will be pain. But I think that the. The long-term payoff, so having a much more efficient education system where really education is going to the people that value it the most and where they are going to get the most value out of it, which is ultimately what a free market economy is all about. It's about allocating resources most efficiently. And there's there's no way to do that by government decree or by giving everybody as much money as the government can afford to try to go out and buy services in in a particular industry that doesn't work and that's never worked i don't know why we expect it to work in education for some reason we take we think of education as being completely different from other products and services that we consume we do the same thing with healthcare i don't know why we treat it differently if we if we accept that a market system does the best job at matching buyers and sellers and allocating resources as efficiently as possible, then why wouldn't the same work in higher education? Why wouldn't the same work in healthcare? Why are those so different? I think that's an important question we have to ask ourselves. And I think that libertarians on, on these types of topics really have the only unified Stance that makes any sense and that stands up to the evidence and to what what has actually happened historically. I think the progressives are pretty consistent. I mean, you know exactly what their what their stance is going to be on a on a given topic. They're at least consistent. I can give them that. I've said that about Bernie Sanders. I can at least respect the guy. I disagree with probably seventy five percent of what he says. I think is consistent. Really, the mainstream Republicans and Democrats are completely inconsistent and trying to please, as I say, just to stand up to public opinion and do enough to hold hold their power. So the progressives are at least consistent, but nothing that they nothing that they say actually stand up to the evidence. That's the difference between the way that we look at things and the way that they look at things. This is they type of the progressives versus libertarians. There is a stark difference there. The difference is that we have history on our side, and they do not. And I don't think they ever will on any topic where we fundamentally disagree, especially on anything that has to do with, with, with economics. But to get back to the point at hand... I think that our system is fundamentally flawed. And people on all sides can see that. It's not just us saying that it's flawed. There are some issues where I feel like we're the only ones being vocal about it. But the progressives are saying this system doesn't work. The The mainstream is saying this system doesn't work. Maybe the mainstream is trying to kind of patchwork the system. The progressives are calling for outright nationalization of higher education and repudiation of student loan debt crazy stuff like that but they at least recognize that there's something wrong but it's clear i think if you actually want to take an honest look at this that what's causing it is the huge government involvement in the system and really who's benefited the most has been the colleges. The tax on the hook for any of this pay. The students themselves are certainly not better off. More and more of them are saying, my education was not worth the time and money that it took for me to get there. You have ridiculous numbers of MBAs and graduate uh, graduate degree holders working at Starbucks and working at grocery stores and working jobs that they could have gotten straight out of high school all of this stuff kinda comes together to show the system is system is broken but the colleges are the ones winning out and there's such a huge interest group there. If you think about all the colleges in this country and really the, the cushy lives that a lot of these professors lead how they're they're protected from free market forces by being able to be professors. I had some great professors, so I'm not trying to denigrate all of them. And I'm certainly not saying that that's the case for all of them, that they're just trying to escape private life. But there, there are a ton of interest groups, or there's a ton of influence in that interest group, and they have every incentive for the system to stay the way that it is to maintain the status quo going to a free market system of funding education so taking away that subsidate subsidization from the federal government that would stop a lot of this gravy train it wouldn't stop the entire thing there would still be there would still be a ton of money in higher education higher education would not go away and i i wouldn't want it to go away i want it to be a robust system i want it to be the best in the world And I think that we're going far away from that by doing things the way that we're doing them now. If we really want to have a good education system, we need to look at what works in other industries. And in what areas have we had the most advancement and the greatest improvements to our standards of living relative to kind of the improvements that that industry can actually bear? if that makes sense you know obviously healthcare has far more potential to improve our standard of living than the electronics industry does but I think you would look at probably the electronics industry as compared to what their purpose is and what they bring to us the improvement in our standard of living has been tremendous in a relatively short period of time and you think about things seem to be advancing faster and faster in the electronics industry and that's largely untouched by. I know if it is possible in, now with net neutrality, that could be a whole episode in and of itself. Trying to regulate the internet, trying, trying to regulate the electronics industry as much as as much as they can. But there's not really a ton that the government has been able to do to this point to regulate the elect the electronics industry. But I think that's where we've seen the most improvement, or at least that's what comes to my mind, the most rapid improvement in a short period of time. And that's because they've been great at allocating resources efficiently, matching buyers and sellers, figuring out exactly what customers want, and getting it to them. And you haven't needed government to have a system where they lend people money to, to buy laptops or to buy cell phones. You haven't needed that for people to to want them because it improves their standard of living. Just like you don't need that for college education. People are going to desire that. People are going to desire the credentials. are going to desire education. I think education is always going to be valued. I think we've been on a course where it's been pretty continuous. Education is valued. And I think I don't see us really turning away from that in the future. It very well could happen at some point i don't see it at least not in my lifetime so we do not need this system for for people to go to college we do not need taxpayers being footing these kind of bills footing 1.3 trillion dollars in student loans if a repudiation ever ever was to happen and that's what a lot of people are calling for And what people will do is allocate their spending to they'll set up their spending in a way that it brings them the most pleasure. Whether that's whether all their spending is geared toward savings so they can consume in the future, whether it's whether they're spending on education, whether they're spending everything they have on products for the here and now. People are going to allocate their spending to get the most to derive the most happiness out of it and I think what the government's doing is it's it's subsidizing young people to screw with that formula so by borrowing a ton early on maybe they're able to have a, a really fun four years But say that if they didn't have that kind of if they didn't have that free money at least it seemed like free money at the time that free money sitting there to borrow they wouldn't have had the temptation to go to college and they wouldn't be spending a large percentage of their income on student loans in the future, thus destroying their ability to be happy later on or at least making it harder to be as happy as possible later on in their lives, assuming they go to college and they, and it doesn't work out well for them. I think what you'd also see, you'd see some people waiting to go to college. I think now the U.S. is is odd. I, I know Canada, it's much more common to take a gap year. I think Europe, it's more common as well. I think you would see that happen more often. Maybe not a gap year, but maybe years where you can build up a nest egg and now be able to go back and pay in cash and not have to be strapped for money maybe after working for a few years, you can have more of, a, more of an indication of, of what you want to do. Rather than at 18 years old, it's kind of difficult to go on a path. A lot of people do, so I'm not saying everybody would go down that path. But I think now that the way the system is set up, that's, that's what you're told to do. That's what the system wants you to do for whatever reason. They want you to go immediately from high school to college. That's what the guidance counselors say. Rarely do you hear them say, Oh, you know what, I think you should I think you should go out of the workforce for a few years and really see what interests you the most and decide if this huge investment's going to be worth it. I've never heard a guidance counselor say that. And maybe there are some that do, but I think that's also an important consequence of this that I wanted to make sure to to have on the record, I guess. But just this system really frustrates me, and I'm I'm seeing it destroy people's lives. I I forget what the name of the site was, but I was on a site where just people going on and on about it was their own accounts of how student loans have ruined their lives. And I I, I also want to say personal responsibility is very important, and I think that's a huge part of this, that people taking out this money, they, they don't understand personal responsibility, and they expect somebody else to swoop in and bail them out. They expect the government to swoop in and bail them out. They don't expect to be held accountable for their mistakes. So I think that's a huge part of this problem, too. But I think the more important side is let's stop dangling that carrot in front of them that entices them to not be personally responsible. I think that's the more important thing to eradicate first. And then I think you're going to see people out of necessity have to become more personally responsible. Because they're going to know there isn't some magical entity out there that's going to bail me out. I think that's what they think of bailouts as being, as tax of taxpayer bailouts as being some magical bailout fairy that comes and makes everything fine for you and nobody's hurt. That's at least how they think. But I think you'd see people, out of necessity, becoming personally responsible in a more free market system not just for student loans but in general but I think student loans because I'm on that topic right now that's where I see the biggest issue where people really don't seem to understand that they should be held accountable like this is a decision that they made so that's that's a a a huge part of it too and talking about millennials that's always going to be a big part of it personal responsibility I think is a lost art for a a substantial percentage of millennials. Not to say there aren't a lot of great things happening and there aren't a lot of extremely talented people in this generation that are very personally responsible. Maybe saw their parents' retirement savings go up in smoke, or maybe saw a lot of mistakes their parents made and now they're doing things completely different. Completely differently. So I think there's plenty of that out there too, but I think the the larger, the kind of Meta trend is toward less personal responsibility, and I'm going to be taken care of by the paternalistic state. So, I think I've ranted on long enough. I think this is a pretty long podcast. It's a topic I can go on a lot about. I think it would have been even more interesting if I could have talked with another person, whether it was somebody with similar views to me or somebody with different views. But, I think the real answer here, the real answer to a lot of our issues is to bring control back locally and to rely on markets. I know that maybe markets aren't the sexy idea... Markets aren't sexy. They aren't as sexy as these one-size-fits-all solutions where with a swoop of the wand, a problem can be fixed. Like, seems to a lot of the progressive panaceas seem to try to try to convince us of being they're not sexy but they get the job done better than anything else that we have and the same is true for things like education and healthcare as they are for other industries so we should not be treating them differently we should be looking at what works in in several in in most industries in our lives in most parts of our lives and applying it across the board Because what works in one place is probably going to work elsewhere. And I think having that kind of consistency is very important. And that's why I've been drawn to libertarianism and why I think that ultimately we have the facts and history on our side. And And that we can be appealing to a large group of people, to a large segment of the population, because of that consistency if we don't deviate from those principles. So I want to thank you again for listening. I'm hoping to have another one out, hopefully early next week. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do another one over this weekend. I'm hanging out with some family this weekend, and uh, you know I don't get to see them a whole lot. So it was kind of a kind of a surprise thing, and it, it should be a blast. But I probably won't get one out until Tuesday or Wednesday, probably. But I really appreciate you listening. Please tell someone. Uh, if If you enjoy the show, contact me if you've got anything you want me to talk about or if you would like to be on the show with me, really anything. Any sort of feedback is good feedback. So thank you very much and have a fantastic 4th of July weekend.